Hello and welcome to IFRS Talks, your source for all things IFRS. I'm your host, Laura Kennedy, and today we're going to be talking about sustainability reporting. In this episode, I'm joined by Katie DeKaiser and Jan Benvisa, who are sustainability reporting specialists in PwC's global technical team. And today they're going to be helping us in demystifying some of the key terms we hear being used in the sustainability reporting space. So guys, sustainability reporting. We caught up a few weeks ago to play around some ideas of what we were going to cover in this podcast. And you might remember I mentioned to you that one of the things I'm finding quite daunting is the new acronyms and the new phrases I'm hearing in that space. So just to give you an example, I'm comfortable with what is materiality. But now I keep hearing double materiality and I have no idea what that means. So one thing I said to you guys is to think of a few of the key phrases that are new to those of us in the financial reporting space and give us a bit of a background on what those things actually mean. So very much looking forward to hearing which phrases you guys are going to explain to us. But before we did that, I was going to ask you to provide a bit of background on what's been going on in the sustainability space. Of course, yeah. Um, So maybe if if we start with the IFRS sustainability disclosure standards. So these are the the standards that the ISSB or the International Sustainability Standards Board issued in June of 2023. Uh, So it issued its inaugural standards being IFRS S1, which covers the general disclosure requirements for sustainability related information. And it covers your core concepts similar to what we have IS1 and the conceptual framework from a financial reporting perspective. And then secondly, it also issued its first thematic standards, which is IFRS S2, and it focuses on climate-related disclosures, specifically your climate-related risks and opportunities. Um, So that was a very exciting time for, for all of us. And then not too long after that, IOSCO, who's the International Organization of Securities Commissions. Um, and so, sorry, I have to apologize in advance. There are going to be many acronyms, which is <laughs> part of the reason why we're having this conversation. Um, but so IOSCO endorsed IFRS S1 and IFRS S2, uh, saying that in its assessment of IFRS S1 and S2, the standards serve as an effective and appropriate global framework. Um, of investor-focused disclosures in relation to climate-related matters and sustainability-related information. Uh, So very formal language, all to say that it endorses what the ISSB is doing. Uh, And then secondly, the Financial Stability Board, or the FSB, announced that the IFRS Foundation will take over the monitoring responsibility uh, for a company's progress towards reporting in accordance with the TCFD, or the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, uh, and this will start from 2024. And this is also because IFRS S1 and IFRS S2 uh, are considered to be the culmination of the work of the TCFD. And so uh, when we're recording this podcast, there are a number of, of uh, jurisdictions that have committed to adopting IFRS S1 and IFRS S2. However, none of them have actually formally done so yet. Uh, so we're expecting some of them to, and uh, like I mentioned, a, a couple of them have already committed to doing that. 
And then lastly, the ISSB has also been busy with a couple of other projects. So in August, it closed its comment period for the board's agenda priorities. And this is basically what the ISSB will be working on in the coming months. And so that uh, agenda priority uh, agenda consultation, sorry, included some topics uh, similar to human rights, human capital, and biodiversity. And so we haven't yet seen what the outcome of that uh, comment period is, but we're very excited to see kind of what the next project will be for the ISSB. Secondly, in September, the ISSB also closed its comment period for the proposed IFRS sustainability digital taxonomy. Uh, and then lastly, the ISSB is also looking to issue some educational material, how some other nature-related aspects also link into IFRS S2. And so that's expected uh, hopefully before the end of this year, but we'll wait to see what happens there. So one of the things you mentioned about TCFD, the IFRS Foundations, taking over from the Financial Stabilities Board there, does that mean that we won't hear TCFD anymore? Does that mean they won't exist? They're replaced? Or what exactly does that mean? No, not at all. So companies can still report in accordance with the TCFD framework. Um, but because uh, the ISSB standards are based off of the same framework, um, if you comply with the ISSB requirements, you'll automatically comply with the TCFD requirements. So by no means does the TCFD fall away or is replaced or anything like that. Got it. Thank you. That's helpful. And then also the other thing I was going to ask is in terms of we're waiting to see when people adopt the IFRS sustainability disclosure standards. When people do start adopting, do we have any idea when it is that companies would be required to apply them? Very interesting question. And it is probably the million dollar question at, at this point in time. So uh, Katie is going to chat a bit about the CSRD and, and what's happening from a European perspective. But just maybe one difference to call out now is that the ISSB standards uh, have an effective date of 1 January 2024. Um, but it doesn't, it, it, the ISSB doesn't require whoever adopts its standards to comply with the standards from that date. So individual jurisdictions will basically impose the the time frame by when companies will need to comply with its requirements. So uh, it is still unclear. And only once we know which countries have or will adopt the standards, will we kind of know a time frame by when the standards will be effective in that specific country. So with that in mind, what has been going on in Europe? Yeah, so since the last time we spoke about sustainability matters on this podcast, uh, quite a lot has been happening in the European Union. So the, I would say the the main or the, the big ticket item is that on the 31st of July of this year, uh, the European Commission fi- adopted the final delegated acts of the European Sustainability Reporting Standards. So those are the ESRSs. There are 12 ESRSs, so 12 different standards made up of two cross-cutting standards, which apply to all sustainability matters, and 10 topical standards. And so each of those 10 topical standards, they cover a specific sustainability matter, so an environmental matter, a social matter, or a governance matter. These are the standards that companies which are in scope of the CSRD will have to apply, and that's the, the EU's Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. So that is all finalized now. Um, when companies have to report under the CSRD depends on the company itself. 
So certain companies will have to report under the CSRD in 2025, but others might report later, depending on the size of the company and the type of company. Um, so companies that are impacted by the CSRD should take a look at when uh, when they're required to report. And then since then, so since July, uh, FRAG, which is the European Financial Reporting Advisory Group, lots of acronyms already, FRAG has been drafting additional supplementary guidance to the ESRSs. So these aren't uh, delegated acts. These are kind of supplementary guidance materials on topics like materiality and the value chain. And so we'll expect to see kind of publication of that guidance later this year, early next year. Uh, so keep an eye out for that as well. Fantastic. And when I'm listening to you speaking about that, Katie, one thing that comes to my mind that I really want to ask is the interaction between the IFRS standards and the European standards. But I'm wondering if I'm jumping ahead because one of the phrases I know that I don't know is interoperability. So should I ask about that now or should I hold off until we talk about phrases? Well, we've got interoperability in our list of things we want to cover on this podcast. So maybe we can maybe we can do that after this section. Got it. All right. With that in mind, then, before we move on to that, I think it wouldn't be a complete list if we didn't also talk about what's been going on in the US on the standard setting side as well. Yeah, sure. So probably the last time Henry was on this podcast talking about sustainability back in January, he was probably talking about the draft or the proposed SEC climate disclosure rule. Um, that rule is still in draft form, so it's not been adopted yet. Uh, but one thing that has happened quite recently in the U.S. Uh, is the California State Senate uh, has approved uh, the Climate Accountability Package, which includes a couple of legislative bills uh, that are relevant for our discussion today. Uh, one of those bills would require greenhouse gas emissions reporting, and the other one would, rep would require climate-related financial risk reporting in line with the recommendations of the TCFD. So you asked about the TCFD earlier and whether it was going away, and here's an example where, no, it's the TCFD is still very important. Um, now, why are we talking about specifically Californian legislation on this podcast? Well, because the scope of the bills mean that uh, companies that do business in California that breach certain size thresholds will be captured by these reporting requirements. So that's not just companies that are registered in California. It's also um, companies that are registered in other parts of the U.S. and probably global companies as well. Uh, so, so that's quite an interesting uh, development. And that also has a relatively early application date. So it seems like uh, reporting would begin in 2026. So that's based on your 2025 fiscal information. Got it. Thank you so much, guys. That was a great summary. All right. So moving on to the next bit, then, what were the phrases that you thought might be the ones to talk about today? Sure. So, so Yan Ben and I put our heads together and we, we tried to come up with the sort of things that we would explain to somebody uh, who was getting into sustainability reporting for the first time. And um, one of the phrases that we liked and that we hear a lot is the phrase alphabet soup, <laughs> um, which is, it's a term that's kind of started getting used really to refer to the fact that there are a very large number of different types of sustainability reporting frameworks often with names that get shortened to acronyms like TCFD or ESRS or GRI. Uh, 
And so people use the term alphabet soup kind of with the implication that there's so many different frameworks, so it can be challenging for companies to understand which ones they should be using. It's kind of a big soup of all these different acronyms. Um, and we've already used some of these acronyms on the podcast already. Uh, so I think maybe the key point to make here is that while it is true that sustainability reporting is a space with a lot of different frameworks, um, part of the IFRS sustainability disclosure standards remit is to try to become the global baseline of sustainability reporting and bring some level of standardization to this sustainability reporting that will kind of allow for more useful comparisons across companies. Um, and we will try very hard in this podcast to define acronyms when we use them. But Laura, you stop us if we if we use one that you haven't heard before. I will. Don't worry. You're doing a very, very good job so far on that. Okay, so got it. So I think it's fair to say then maybe alphabet soup not totally disappearing, um, but consistency being driven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe to to jump in there, I guess with all of these various acronyms and sustainability reporting frameworks, some of which we've mentioned today, and hundreds more that we <laughs> won't cover today, um, the question that you asked earlier about interoperability how do how do these frameworks work together? Or if you comply with one, does that mean you automatically comply with another? And or, or not? To what extent? Um, so really, interoperability is the term we use uh, or that is used quite often to describe the level of uh, agreement or consistency between these frameworks. So to what extent, if you comply with, for example, the ISSB requirements, to what extent do you comply with the ESRS requirements? Um, and so I'll, I'll fast forward to the end just now and then I'll come back to this point. But um, it isn't yet clear whether you will comply with 25% of ESRS or 50% or 60% or whatever the case might be. So there's no clear threshold yet. But something that's worth highlighting now is that uh, the ISSB, FRAG, and the European Commission have publicly stated that they are going to work together uh, to enhance the interoperability of the IFRS sustainability disclosure standards and then the ESRS, as Katie mentioned a bit earlier. Uh, so even Emmanuel Faber, the chair of the ISSB, has said that they're working on publishing guidance to help companies navigate these two sets of standards, which we think will be really, really helpful. Uh, and so just stepping outside of the three frameworks we, we have been discussing, uh, the GRI or the Global Reporting Initiative and FRAG have also issued a joint statement acknowledging that they've achieved a high level of interoperability between their respective standards. Uh, and just a quick mention there that they link uh, to a concept that we're going to discuss a, a bit later and that you've already mentioned on double materiality and what does, what does that mean. Um, and then lastly, to help, I guess, users and investors understand the relationship or interrelationship between the IFRS sustainability disclosure standards, the European sustainability reporting standards or ESRS and the SEC's proposed climate rule, um, we've actually developed a publication to address some of the questions that we expect to get from these companies. Um, and these companies may need to apply one or more of these three frameworks. Uh, so we'll also include a link uh, in the uh, this podcast note for, for your listeners to refer to. We think it's going to be a helpful document. And then maybe maybe something that uh, some of your listeners might be thinking about um, while we're now having these discussions about all of the various frameworks is uh, another concept and sometimes, uh, I guess, 
interchanged or, or used interchangeably with interoperability, um, or at least part of the same conversation is probably a better way of putting it. Uh, so proportionality in short means that not all companies are equally prepared to report on sustainability related information. And there's many factors that contribute to, to why companies aren't equally prepared. Um, some easy examples would be resource constraints. So the cost of investing in the necessary systems or processes to actually report on specific sustainability related information. Uh, or the data availability, and then lastly, a lack of specialist skills, because although there is some overlap with financial reporting, there are also differences. And so with proportionality, these frameworks are trying to make it easier for all companies to apply the requirements, um, but it might require a phase in provision, which we'll, we'll chat on in just a moment. Um, but Maybe one example to highlight is from the ISSB, and they've included a list of mechanisms to help address the, the proportionality concerns, uh, one of which is the use of reasonable and supportable information to identify sustainability-related risks and opportunities. And so this concept would be used instead of performing an exhaustive search for information. As you can imagine, if you look hard enough, you'll probably find every company being exposed to every sustainability related risk, mm -hmm. um, which is also where the concept of, of materiality comes in. Um, but moving to, to SRS for just a moment on, on this concept of proportionality, they've also included some phase-in requirements to help smaller companies comply with the requirements. And so these smaller companies are those who have less than 750 employees uh, on a consolidated basis. So when when they talk about proportionality then it's like a mixture of both transitional things while people are getting up to speed but then also some sort of more permanent thinking as well thinking of size of companies and sophistication of the, the teams that's exactly it yes so the in our example from the issb uh, the use of reasonable and supportable information is written in the standard not as a transition provision but as part of the the standing text of the standard whereas the esrs um, reference we mentioned is part of their phase phase in provision so that might change in year two or three of reporting under esrs got it that makes sense thank you all right. What have you guys got next on your list? Well, maybe s sticking with uh, ESRS for a second. One of the phrases that you mentioned right at the start, Laura, was this double materiality. Um, and we could probably do a whole podcast just on double materiality, but we will. Yeah, and Ben and I tried to keep it short and sweet. So you'll hear people use this phrase double materiality, and it's essentially a shorthand to describe a materiality concept that's used by a few different frameworks, most notably by the ESRSs. Um, so to describe how we get to double materiality, we kind of have to start with single materiality. So the IFRS sustainability disclosure standards uses a concept of investor-focused materiality. So under the IFRS sustainability disclosure standards, the entity has to determine what risks and opportunities could be reasonably expected to influence the entity's cash flows, access to finance, or cost of capital over the short, medium, and long term. And you, some, you hear this shortened, uh, and it's in fact shortened in the standards to the entity's prospects. So that process of working out what sustainability-related risks and opportunities does an entity have that could reasonably be expected to impact the entity's prospects 
that's what we uh, call investor-focused materiality or single materiality. So then how do we get to double materiality? Well, if we look at ESRS, ESRS also requires reporting on impacts. So not just risks and opportunities, but also impacts. And impacts are the the company's impact on the planet, environment, people, its workers and uh, affected communities and workers in the value chain. So it requires an undertaking. So the ESRSs require a company to determine what sustainability matters to report using two lenses. The first, which they call financial materiality, is very similar to the IFRS materiality lens, which I just mentioned. And then the second, which is called impact materiality, looks at uh, the severity of the sustainability matters impact on people, planet, and the environment. So double materiality refers to these two ways of identifying relevant sustainability topics to report on. So when you hear somebody saying double materiality, they're just talking about that way of coming up with the material, the material sustainability matters that the reporting is going to focus on. That makes sense now. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's very interesting, actually, because that impact materiality sounds quite challenging, I imagine, to, to come up with sort of how far your impact goes. It, um, it requires a, a different process, I think, to, to those of us who come from a financial reporting background are maybe familiar with the idea of something being material from the point of view of the, the finances of a company. Um, but when we're thinking about something being material from the point of view of the impact that it has on people, planet, the environment, that's a different, a different way of thinking about it for those of us who come from that financial reporting background. And, and it will require, I think, more um, engagement with stakeholders. So different stakeholders at different parts of the, um, the value chain to determine what those relevant impacts are. Was there anything else you guys wanted to cover? Any more phrases or topics worth mentioning? Actually, one thing, just thinking about that Something that is, you know, maybe not as familiar to those of us with a financial reporting background. Uh, another topic that kind of comes up in that area is um, industry-specific disclosures. So the IFRS sustainability disclosure standards have an explicit requirement for an entity to provide industry-specific metrics about its risks and opportunities, um, as well as cross-industry metrics. And IFRS S2 has a lot of industry guidance that will help companies fulfill that requirement. And and that industry guidance is based on the SASB standards. SASB is an acronym we haven't used yet, which I think stands for the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. (laughs) Um, And the ESRSs also require industry-specific metrics where the kind of cross-industry metrics required by a specific uh, standard don't provide sufficient information about a, a risk opportunity or, or impact. So can I just ask then, one thing you guys mentioned earlier was having this consistent global baseline. You just mentioned, Katie, this is kind of different to what we see on the IFRS reporting space, if there's industry guidance. Kind of what is the thinking then if different industries are going to have different specific guidance? Yeah, Laura, it's, it's a good question. And I, I, I think it's probably best answered with an example. Um And so if you're considering the stakeholders of a mining and metals company, 
they might be more interested in understanding the percentage of mine site where acid rock drainage is predicted to occur uh, or actively mitigated or under treatment and remediation. And um, I'll, I'll explain what acid rock drainage is in just a moment. Um, but so th the users of that information is very is sometimes different to the users of a pharmaceutical company. So where they might be more interested in the number of recalls issued and the total units recalled. Uh, so for that reason, the ISSB refers to a building block approach. So kind of as a baseline, we have the normal requirements. And then one of the building blocks on top of that is industry-specific requirements. So including the percentage of uh, mines where acid rock drainage have occurred um, for a pharmaceutical company doesn't make sense apart from the company disclosing zero. So it's not, not really relevant. And the same with recalls for a mining entity. So that in, in that example, um, industry-specific information is we think will be helpful. Um, but just quickly, acid rock drainage is basically just where uh, a company has mined and there's some interaction between water and air with regards to what has been dug out of the ground. And I'm, I'm not a, um, a geologist, so I can't explain exactly which minerals cause this or not. But just as a, as a broad concept, that's what it refers to. You never know what you're going to learn on IFRS talks. So that's very helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Jan. That makes sense to me, though. Ultimately, it's the same principle that people are going with with disclosures, but you need some different specifics uh, to achieve that, achieve the objective. Yeah. All right, guys, thank you so much. So we covered quite a lot there. We covered alphabet soup, we covered interoperability, proportionality, double materiality, and then we also talked about the industry-specific disclosures. Yeah, thanks, Laura. One one last thing that's probably helpful to, to mention to the listeners, uh, and it relates to another exposure draft referred to as ISA 5000, uh, the general requirements for sustainability assurance engagement. And so this comment later or, or exposure draft is out for comments until uh, early December 2023. And what makes this exposure draft so, so interesting is that it can be applied to any sustainability assurance engagement. So irrelevant of the sustainability report. Uh, reporting topic or the framework uh, that is used. This set of, uh, let's say, methodology can be applied. And it's not just by professional accountants. It's also designed to be used by non-accountant assurance practitioners. So exactly what this will look like will be, will be interesting to see. So definitely something to look out for in the future. And I think uh, I would just maybe add right at the end, as we're getting to the end here, uh, a plug for the PwC viewpoint page. We have a sustainability landing page where you can find all of the guidance that we've published recently, including the the um, navigation tool that Jan Ben mentioned, uh, which has some some really interesting guidance around uh, these different sustainability reporting frameworks. Fantastic. Perfect way to end with where to go for more information. So with that, thank you so much, Katie. Thank you, Jan Ben. And uh, thank you to all of our listeners to never miss an episode of IFRS Talks. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, happy accounting. This podcast has been brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers, LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitution for consultation with professional advisors.